0: Being impressive is not about impressing other people. It's actually about giving them the opportunity to impress you.
1: If you're a person who's looking to have more purpose in your life, if you're saying to yourself, I don't want to just go to work. I want to do my life's work. This is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. How do you figure out how to take your passion and turn it into a profit? Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Skillshare is offering Don't Keep Your Day Job listeners a limited time offer of two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash job. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash dreamjob to get two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just... 99 cents thanks to latote for supporting don't keep your day job with latote you can rent unlimited fashion just wear return and discover fashion that fits you better it's going to take the stress out of getting dressed go to latote.com that's l-e-t-o-t-e.com to get started enter promo code dream job at checkout and get 20 percent off your first month again that's latote.com and enter your code dream job Thanks to JustFab for supporting Don't Keep your Day Job. If you go to JustFab.com slash DreamJob right now and sign up as a VIP, you'll get your first style for as low as $10. Thanks to Talkspace for supporting Don't Keep your Day Job. Talkspace is the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can go to talkspace.com slash dreamjob and use the code DREAMJob to get $45 off your first month. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Hope you guys had a good weekend. I did so much this weekend. It was my husband's birthday and I took him to see Jerry Seinfeld uh, last night. And uh, we had some friends over the night before that. And uh, the night before that, I took him out to see this awesome documentary called The Search for Greatness. And it's such a cool movie. It's a movie that tries to understand what makes people great, what makes people become legends. And in the movie, they interview Wayne Gretzky and Serena Williams and Michael Jordan and Pele and all these incredible athletes. And they're trying to figure out like what makes a person become great. And after the documentary, There live was Wayne Gretzky and Sir Ken Robinson, who I'd love to get on the show. Sir Ken Robinson has the number one TED Talk ever, uh, the most watched TED Talk. And it was such a great birthday weekend because we did all these great things. But this particular movie was so enlightening. And I just wanted to share with you, it's been really sitting with me. He was saying that there's a few things that all of these genius athletes, all of these people that he's met through his lifetime who really succeed, there's a few things they have in common. And he talked about how when they were growing up, a lot of these people, Wayne Gretzky, he said he, he had a lot of freedom and he played outside a lot. He spent a lot of time outside. He said he'd come home from school, throw his backpack down, and he'd stay outside till the lights came on. He'd just be out there, you know, just using his imagination. And Ken Robinson was talking about creativity and how important it is and how creativity is something that Sometimes it gets like beaten out of us because we get taught to be in the box and look at things a certain way until we stop using our imagination. We stop exploring. We stop trying. We stop experimenting because we don't want to get it wrong. And we talked about this on the, on the show before, but there was a quote he said where he said, creativity isn't incidental in human beings. It's the thing that makes us distinctively human. Like, I thought that's fascinating that like the thing that separates us from the other species is that we're creative. And so using our imagination and trying things and and experimenting, so, so important. And one of the other things that came up, and I just wanted to sort of like wrap up this part of our conversation today with this. During the Q&A, somebody raised their hand and they asked both of them, Wayne Gretzky in particular, they said, you know, for you, it was hockey and he's the greatest hockey player of all time. Nobody else comes close. This guy stood up and he said, I like to do a few things, but I don't know if any of them are the thing I'm supposed to do with my whole life. And how do I know what path to take? And how do I know what's the thing? And I just wanted to comment on this because I get that question a lot. And I, I often say to people, you know, clarity follows action. You should get busy, get scrappy, just try things, don't overthink it. Angela Duckworth talked about how passions are things that are developed. You got to explore things. There's trial and error and you start to start to get a sense of where you're supposed to be directed and, and the world will resonate and you'll wind up finding your path or, or it'll find you. But it takes a process of trial and error. But over the weekend, I was sitting with this question and I I saw my dear friend and mentor, David Sachs, who's been on the podcast before. He's a TV writer. He helped create amazing shows like Third Rock from the Sun, Malcolm in the Middle. He worked on The Simpsons. He's won many Emmys. He's a great, great mind. And uh, I remember how incredible his podcast episode was and how he talked about it's really important to make your life into art. And I saw him over the weekend and he was telling me about how he was driving home just last week and he was in the car and out of the corner of his eye in the street he thought he saw a wallet like sitting in the street and it was only like a few yards that he was driving but he had this whole conversation with himself like do i pull over should i try to you know see if it is a wallet should i find the person who the wallet belongs to and he he pulled over and he went back and it took a moment till there was no more cars and he Knew it was safe, and he walked into the street and picked up what was actually not just a wallet. It was like this um, leather billfold that had inside a wallet, but also somebody's smartphone and credit cards and all this stuff. And he was so excited that he found it because he was so excited to be able to do this good deed of returning this to this person. So he looked for a phone number, but he, he didn't see that, but he did see a name. And he Googled this person's name and he saw that the person, the address, that was attached to this name was actually on the same street, just a few yards away. So he realized it must be belonging to this person. So he walked to this person's house and he waited for this person to come home. And uh, sure enough, within like a few minutes, the person came home and said, you know, who are you? He's like, oh, I just found your wallet. He said, oh, I came back to the house looking for it. He said, oh, well, you're lucky it didn't get run over. I saw it in the middle of the street. Anyway, as he's telling me this story, I was like on the edge of my seat. Because it's not every day that somebody takes time out of their day and is so excited about doing this good deed, and you know he's he's Jewish and he's religious, and he talked about how like this is what religion did for him is he said for him in his quest in studying you know ancient texts, he said what it's done for him is he has clarity he said it, it teaches him you know like what is he supposed to do? And I was thinking back to this question that this guy asked Wayne Gretzky that I get asked all the time, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I realized the answer is really simple. The real answer to that question is be in service, serve, help, contribute. And through the research that I've been doing my whole life, and especially over the last few years, you know, talking to so many people who've been really looking into what makes people happy, we know that It's not happiness we're after, it's purpose. And so I think that the answer I usually give, which is that clarity comes from action, I think it can be combined with this because I think what happens, and we've talked about this before, is that as you try things, the world will resonate with certain things. And I think the idea is you start trying thinking about what are the things that you have? What are the gifts, the skills that you possess? How can you use those to make the world better? Can you be painting something that would lift someone up? Can you be writing a song that would help someone get through a difficult emotion? Can you be a teacher? Can you help someone learn? That's ultimately what we're all so thirsty for anyway. But I think it's that really super clear focus of ultimately, I'm here to serve and we all have different abilities in which we can serve the world some of us can cook really well some of us can nurture people through giving advice or teaching a certain kind of class or making music or creating gatherings but that's it and um i just think that that's really clarifying and i think it's really liberating because when you when you strive to serve i think we we find purpose and that's really what we want and and then it it doesn't necessarily matter sometimes you know, what the package is that that comes in. Because I was talking to a friend yesterday and she said, you know, I listen to your podcast and sometimes I'm like crying in the shower because I don't feel a calling. And we're going to talk more about that on an episode coming up because I interviewed Emily Estefani-Smith who did a TED Talk on that. And she said only one third of the world actually has what's called a calling. And it's important to know that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you if you don't have this like clear lightning strike of this is what i want to do i want to play hockey with my life i want to tour the world i want to help people i want to be sitting at a potter's wheel that's also okay i think that there's so much that we can all do and get busy serving the world you know and to tie it back into my husband whose birthday weekend it was you know he's somebody who he doesn't see it like his his life's purpose has to come through his work you know he has a nice job he likes he likes what he does but he feels like you know, it's about being a good father, being a good husband, being a good friend. And I think there's something to say for that. And I think we should make sure that we're we're, we're clarifying what we're talking about on this show. It's about finding purpose, finding your life's work and and being happy, doing what you're doing and ultimately using your gifts to serve the world. Um, you guys are awesome. I love hearing from you. Please come on over and join me on Instagram at Kathy.Heller, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R. I love hearing from you there. I answer every single one of my DMs. Um, I post things there and show up live, show up daily there to connect with you. I read all the comments. Um, I'd love to have a personal connection. And if you want me to follow you back, just DM me and say, Hey, Kathy, I'm here. I followed you. Follow me back. I'd be happy to. I'm super excited for today's guests. We have the brilliant, super smart Vanessa Van Edwards on the show. She's going to tell you that she's a recovering awkward person, but she is so much more than that. It's so funny that that's what she says. That's how she talks about herself. She's a behavioral investigator and she's the founder of the Human Behavior Research Lab. It's called The Science of People, where she designs original research experiments to crack the code on human behavior. She's also the author of the best-selling book Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People, which explores shortcut systems and behavior hacks for taking charge of interactions at work, at home, and in any Social situation. Her work has been featured on NPR, Wall Street Journal, The Today Show, USA Today, many more places. She also has an awesome YouTube channel with tons of videos on human behavior, psychology, communication, and relationships. Plus, she has an amazing TED Talk on how our behavior affects how other people perceive our confidence. You guys should totally check that out. I think you're going to find her resources super valuable, and she's just an adorable, fun human being to watch. So make sure you check out her TED Talk after this episode. What I loved from her TED Talk, my husband actually, he watched it and he really summed it up well. He said, you know what's so great about her TED Talk is that she helped me understand that we are all contagious, that the energy we bring into a room and the way that we talk, it affects other people. And so we should really try to be generous with our energy. And I thought that was super awesome that he pulled that out of it and that she taught that and got that message across. But I loved what she had to say and I, I'm excited for this interview. Okay, before we bring her on, let's thank one of our sponsors. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or build your own business, Skillshare is going to keep you learning this year and beyond. It's no secret that I love Skillshare. I love that it's all about lifelong learning, exploring your curiosity, And I love their classes. I've taken their classes on watercolor painting, branding. They have classes on Instagram. And there's always so many more things that I see and think, oh, I should learn more about street photography or graphic design. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. You can also check out their classes on things like how to use social media, hand lettering, creative writing, you name it, they've got it. You can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners you can get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering, don't keep your day job listeners, two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to skillshare.com slash dream job. Again, go to skillshare.com slash dream job to start your two months now at skillshare.com slash dream job. Now, without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Vanessa Van Edwards. Hey, Vanessa, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: I've known about you for a while, and I just found out that we both spoke at the World Domination Summit um, at Chris Gillibo's event in June, but we spoke on different days and we missed each
0: other. I can't believe it.
1: Can't believe it. So, there's so much to dive into. You've done amazing work understanding people, how we work, and a lot of the people listening have probably already watched some of your videos on YouTube. You have a huge following. You also did a great TED Talk, and you've just written books and done so much to help us understand behavior and how that can help us sort of move through the world. I wanted to like start out by sort of asking you how you even got into that. What was interesting about it and how you sort of feel you've built this whole following um, and gotten to where you are today?
0: You know, it's been a crazy journey. I think that I'm one of those kind of A-type personalities where you have a whole idea of where your life is going to go and then it throws you a bunch of curveballs. And I think that that's Kind of what happened to me is I have always been a self help junkie. You know, I like I would go to the self help aisle in bookstores, yeah. and I would literally like have a stack of books taller than me. And one thing I found really early on was that there was a lot of books on social intelligence, emotional intelligence. Um, and I was one of the, I'm one of those people. I joke I'm a recovering awkward person. Um, <laughs> people still never really never came naturally to me. Um, I have I have make an art of putting my foot in my mouth. You're so funny. Oh my, no, truly, truly. I'm sure it will come out in this interview um, at least at least a few times. Um, and I noticed that a lot of the books were written by people who were very naturally good people, people, right? Like um, even like Dale Carnegie, you know, going back to like the, the really foundational books is um, if you're naturally charismatic, if you're naturally very good with people, of course, you're asked to then write books or be an expert on being good with people. Mm-hmm. And so- that's good to a certain extent. But when you're not naturally good at people, um, I really struggle with confidence and presence. And you'd hear this advice over and over again. People would say to me, just be yourself. Like Every book would be like, just walk into a party and be yourself and people will love you for you. And I think that this took me many years to figure out why that never worked, which is if you don't like yourself and you're told to be yourself, there's really no way that you feel like you can make good relationships with people. Yeah. And I think that that was fundamentally what got me on on my road to try to find a different kind of behavioral science, Uh, maybe uh, people skills from people who aren't good people people and had to learn the hard way
1: yeah well, that's so honest and brave that you shared all that and um, it makes sense. It makes sense what you're saying like that's so frustrating. you know, people who are asked to do these things are people who are naturally good at it, and it can feel really overwhelming and I think for many people in our audience, these things start to feel frustrating because often people have these dreams and things that they want to build, and they might be good at pottery or they might be a good dancer or they might be a good musician, but then they realize that they have to Uh, sell their work or they have to, Mm. you know, write copy and and pitch their work and be in business. And that's a whole different set um, of skills. And sometimes that feels like, you know, the cost to entry is just too high.
0: I totally agree. And what I was going to say, this is one of the things that really gets a bee in my bonnet. I get real, real excited. (laughs) about it in my bonnet. (laughs) A bee in my bonnet about it um, is that we've done years and years of technical training, right? Like we go to school, we learn math and history and science and technical training and book smarts are incredibly important. Do not, do not get me wrong. They're essential for success. But what happens is you end up being incredibly talented in some way. Maybe you're an excellent engineer or you're, um, you've created something or you're an amazing photographer or a graphic artist or whatever it is that you're really talented at. And you've honed that skill perfectly. But when it comes to sharing that skill or negotiating for that skill, like asking for what you're worth, raising your rates, uh, pitching mm-hmm. yourself... It's impossible to translate your skill into sharing it to others because we aren't taught
1: mm-hmm. the
0: people side or the sharing side of the technical skills. Yeah. And so what happens is, and this is so many of my students are brilliant, brilliant people who are not able to share their talent. I think that that's fundamentally broken. Something in our system is broken. And I'm hoping that we can try to fix it with podcasts like this, talking about the social side of sharing our talent.
2: hmm
1: Yeah. So I think we should start with this amazing book that you wrote, Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. Tell us why you wrote this book, what we can pull out, what are some of the takeaways? You talk about shortcuts and systems and behavior hacks or how to take charge of interactions at work, at home, and in any social situation. And this is so key. Let's dive into this. Let's talk about the science of succeeding with people. Let's talk about the some of these gems and how those of us listening can learn how to incorporate this and understand it better.
0: Yeah, I think there's one place I I really want to start, and um, hopefully, you'll go on this journey with me. So, I think when most of us think about being charismatic or making a good first impression or putting our best foot forward, all those social cliches, we typically think of one brand of charisma, and that is usually the booming extrovert, right? Like the life of the party. Mm -hmm. Someone who walks in, they're extremely extroverted. They're very cheerful. uh, They make great jokes. They tell great stories. (laughs) That's great. That is true. That is definitely charismatic. One thing that we've found in our research is that there is more than one kind of charisma. And the most important thing is defining your brand of charisma. So it might be the cheerful extrovert, but it also might be um, the Powerful Observer. It could be um, The Quiet Connector. It could be, and, I, and I, I'm not, these aren't actual official titles. I want you to kind of come up with your own, is thinking about what is your current first impression? If you had to pick a word to describe how you come across, what would that be? Mm-hmm. And then what is your ideal first impression? What do you want people to think of when they first meet you? And I think that that's a really important question because I don't want anyone to have to fake it till they make it. I know that's been put out there a lot. I don't think faking it is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. I would much rather you figure out what your real presence is, what your real charisma is, and then try to hone it. Got it.
1: I feel like it would be hard for people to know how they come across unless somebody would tell them.
0: I think that's true. I think that there's two ways to tackle that question. One is thinking about, okay, how do you think you come across? Right, Do a little bit of self-diagnosis. Um, and then trying to get feedback on this. You can definitely bring in some of your trusted friends, partners, parents, kids, ask them, you know, when you first met me, what did you first think of me? There's that aspect. Mm -hmm. The other aspect is maybe that doesn't matter if you, if you don't know how you come across and you don't think that you're getting it right, maybe that's okay. Maybe it's about honing how you want to come across and figuring out what you want to do for the future. So it's totally up to you if you want to dive into that self-diagnosis or you feel like, you know what, I'm ready to move on.
1: Cool. So inside the book, um, in chapter three, you talk about how to have dazzling conversations. And you also talk about how to be the most memorable person in the room. I feel like people want to know, you know, like, how do I get other people's attention? How do I succeed with other people? What do you talk about in those chapters that we can sort of learn from? So conversation was one of
0: those areas that always uh, baffled me a little bit, um, especially the casual conversation. You know, I, I could do pretty well if I was in like an interview or something more structured. Right. But when it came to like, office chit-chat, you know, party rapport. Um, ooh, that gave me such anxiety. Um, and so I realized that my best conversations had certain patterns to them. What we did at our lab, so I, I run a lab, and what we decided to do was analyze different patterns of networking conversations. So in one of our experiments, we had um, 500 networkers across three different events, and we assigned them different conversation starters in sort of a speed networking mm-hmm. kind of Situation, so we assigned them different conversation starters, and we tracked the success of those conversation starters. The way that we did that was um, a couple ways. First, is we had people rate the quality of each conversation, and they were all timed, so they all had um, controlled time around the conversations. So they had the, we had them rate on a scale of one to five the, the level of the conversation. One being, oh, that was so boring, that was so stressful, that was so anxious. Five being, oh my gosh, yeah. I could have talked to that person forever. That was amazing. What a deep conversation. And then we also had cameras set up in all four corners of the rooms. And we tracked volume, body language patterns, like leaning and smiling, and looked to see if we could see expressiveness. Because typically, when you're more excited, you're more expressive and animated. You smile more. You lean in more. You nod more. When you're bored, you have less nonverbal expression. You lean back. You have less facial expressions. like that. Um, and we found very clearly that there were certain topics that spark uh, Mm. people's imagination, people's nonverbal. And typically they had to do with having people search for something good. What I mean by this is the brain is interesting when you talk about interactions. Typically, we have the same conversations over and over again. I'm sure you've had these before. you probably even experienced a lot on podcasts where you've asked someone the same question a million times, um, and they answer the same way is that they socially script. Mm -hmm. So if you ask someone, so what do you do? Right. Where are you from? How's it going? They, their brain is almost non-reactive, right? They answer on a complete social script. And we found that when we assigned those kinds of conversation starters, like, how are you? What do you do? Where are you from? It was incredibly boring. They got bad ratings. We had really low nonverbal expressiveness. The problem is, is that if you ask most people, what conversation starters do you use? Right. Those are the ones That's that so people sit Yeah, true. But the best ones were the ones that were still comfortable. So they weren't like, tell me your deepest, darkest yeah. secret. Like those were too <laughs> much. <laughs> um, so they were still comfortable, but they just sparked a little something extra. They asked the brain to dig into a positive memory specifically. And I found that if you can think to yourself, okay, how can I ask the person I'm with Any question that will solicit a positive memory, you're almost always going to get some kind of sparking Uh. response. So some of my favorites, the ones that got the highest ratings, uh, one is working on anything exciting recently. Mm. Very kind of simple. It's a a slight kind of moderation of what do you do or how are you or how's it going, but you're specifically asking them for something Uh, good. And what's interesting is just anecdotally, this wasn't included in our experiment, Sometimes I'll ask the question, have you been busy lately or has it been really busy for you? And it's amazing because then you're asking the brain to search for something Mm -hmm. bad. You're asking them to look for examples of stress and busyness. And it is amazing the different trajectories of the conversations. Whereas if you ask someone working on anything exciting recently or anything exciting happening in your life, even if someone is having a bad day or a bad week, you'll actually see them turn on their brain. Like They'll look up, usually up and to the left, and they go, huh, uh, and they, you can see them scanning their brain for good, 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 good. The only way I can, kind of the metaphor I use, you know when you're at the dry cleaner and they press the button to look yes. for your number? It's kind of yeah. like that. Like Someone's going through the catalog of memories in their mind and they find their favorite one. That's cool. And so I think that's what we have to be doing in interactions. That's how we get sparking conversations is whether you're in the break room with your boss or you're at a party with your sister, asking them to search for something good is the greatest gift we can Mm -hmm. give to other human because you're basically flipping them into optimism.
1: That's really cool. Okay. Before we go on, let's take a quick ad break. So when I go to the store to go shopping, I usually don't have any time to actually try on the clothes because I'm with my three little kids and my two-year-old's like running around the store and I'm sweating. I'm like asking my older daughter to like go find her and I'm like forget it. This is insane. So I wind up like finding my kids and like just going over to the cashier and like paying for a bunch of stuff because I just don't have time to try things on. So then I take everything home and I realize that, you know, like four of the five things I bought don't fit. They don't look good. And then I wind up forgetting to return things. But thankfully there's La Tote. La Tote takes the stress out of getting dressed. Get the right styles in your right size get it delivered, rent pieces that fit, send them back when you're done and just repeat. Plus, I love that La Tote takes your measurements and ratings and learns not just your size, but the nuances of how you like your clothes to fit. I don't know about you, but I think it's just a nice feeling when you put something on and you actually like it and it actually fits. With La Tote, you can rent unlimited fashion, just wear, return, and discover fashion that fits you better. It'll take the stress out of getting dressed. Go to LaTote.com, that's L-E-T-O-T-E.com to get started. Enter promo code DREAMJOB at checkout to get 20% off your first month. Again, that's Latote.com and enter your code Dream Job. In the book, you have so many great nuggets here. How one of your chapters is how do you be the most memorable person in the room? How do you do
0: that? Okay. So when I used to go to events, I used to think, how can I impress people? Everyone. Right? Thinks like that I thing. wanted to yeah. win work. Yeah, I mean it's kind of an ugly truth, but I I you know, I think it's part of just part of human humanity, right? Like we want people to like us. And so I was constantly like, how can I impress people? How can I impress people? And so to do this, um, as a very recovering, awkward person, I would try to memorize jokes. I'm not even joking you. I would memorize jokes and put them on flashcards. I would practice telling what I thought were funny stories or impressive stories, or I would, you're so cute, (laughs) (laughs) cute. You're that's kind cute. Or like, Oh, this is cringeworthy. Like I would just, you know, I would, I would name drop. (sighs) oh, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. But I would, that's what I would do. Cause I was so desperate yeah. for people to like me or take me seriously. It never worked. In fact, it usually backfired and the first time I realized this was a very famous story. I, I hopefully, you will haven't heard it before. It's very famous. It's Benjamin Disraeli and William Gladstone running for prime minister of the UK back, back many, mm-hmm. many decades ago. And the famous story is that um, a reporter took them both out to lunch before the election and was asked to report on who she thought mm-hmm. would win the election. And after having lunch with both men, and both these men are very accomplished, very celebrated. It was a very close race. No one knew who's going to win uh, prime minister. And the reporter said, after having lunch with Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the most intelligent person in England. But after having lunch with Mr. Disraeli, I thought I was the most intelligent person Mm. in England. That story just, I think about it all the time and it completely changed my perspective where I realized maybe being impressive is not about impressing other people. It's actually about giving them the opportunity mm-hmm. to impress you. And the trick that I play in my mind, and I'm happy to share this if this works for you, I actually didn't put this in the book, is imagine that when you meet people, or when you see someone, maybe you haven't, you've already known them before, imagine that you're about to introduce them on mm-hmm. a big stage, that you have a big auditorium full of people, and you have to know some great accolades and great stories mm-hmm. about this person to give mm-hmm. them a great introduction. What questions would you ask them to try to get those mm-hmm. tidbits and stories yeah. so you could go into this? I love
1: them. this. It's really about making other people feel seen. It's really about celebrating what makes somebody else feel special. And that is that is what people want. That makes
0: sense. It's how they feel about themselves, right? Exactly. And what's amazing is... My nervousness goes away when that's my focus. Right. You're shining the light on that. Yeah, because if I have major imposter syndrome walking into a conference that I feel like I have no business at because everyone's more important right. and has more followers and all these things in me, and I'm trying to go in to impress them, whew, that's setting myself up for failure. It's setting myself mm-hmm. up for huge imposter syndrome. However, if I go into the event with a group full of people where I think I'm gonna go try to meet people and have them really impress me, it Totally right. takes the pressure off of me and allows me to just honor yep. other people's accomplishments. And it's the best way to combat anxiety, yeah. I think.
1: Now, speaking of this, I I watched your TED talk and you know they panned to the audience at one point. I was like, geez, there were so many people in that room. How many people were in that room? <laughs> a lot.
0: <laughs> it was three, three stories, three balconies. I had to have been over a thousand. Yeah. I luckily I never asked because that would have just terrified me more. <laughs>
1: especially someone who says you're a recovering awkward person, you don't seem it at all. You seem <laughs> so comfortable. If you watch your TED Talk, you're like oh. so engaging, relaxed, beautiful, you know, all the right things to say, confident, oh. and you're funny. I mean, it's an amazing TED Talk. How do you do that? How do you not get nervous? How do you not get overwhelmed? I understand you're saying I put the emphasis on other people, but you have to get up and speak. You have to get up and talk and they're Uh not speaking. You are, right? So how have you combated the feeling of overwhelm? How have you combated that feeling of imposter syndrome and just walk right up there and execute and do such a great job?
0: How have you done that? Okay. Two things I want to share for this. One is mental and one is tactical. So the first mental tactic is... One thing we have to remember, and we know this from our lab, we've interviewed so many people about their perceptions of others, right? Perceptions of first impressions, perceptions after watching TED Talks. We did we did a massive, I talk about this in my TED Talk, a massive TED Talk experiment. We have people rate TED Talks. And over and over again, what you find is that people are expecting you to be good. And that's actually a good thing. People really want you to succeed, right? Like, Before I walked out on stage for my TED Talk, and I was very, very nervous for my TED Talk, and I don't think you can see it, but actually one of my legs was shaking um, in the TED Talk, and I was praying on stage that you wouldn't see the the quivers in my dress. I know. I've done it. What do I mean? I can't imagine. I've
1: done this. I know what this feels like. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I totally get it.
0: Yeah, Yeah. In fact... In fact, I was so scared. I told my husband there was like five stairs going up the stage. We head up. And for some reason in, in my TED talk, they had us enter from the bottom of stage, not the top of stage. And I said to the, to the stage production person, I was like, I don't mind coming up that way, but I literally don't know if I will have the legs to go up and down those five <laughs> stairs. And he said to me, he said, okay, what I'll do is I'll have um, one of the crew members standing at the stairs in case you fall oh, to catch you. Geez. No joke. Um, That's how nervous I was uh, going up and down just even those five stairs. What I had to keep reminding myself was, is that everyone in that audience really wanted you to succeed. They really wanted to have a great TED talk. No one was expecting going, well, I hope this is going to be really boring and awful. That's right. I really hope she messes up. And so I had to think of the audience like a big room full of hopeful cheerleaders Right? They They're are hoping and praying for a really good talk. That's true. And it's the same at every networking event and every conversation. At networking events, you go, what do you think to yourself when you network event? You go, oh, I hope this is gonna be worth it. <laughs> right? Like when you sign up, you're like, God, I hope this is gonna be worth the time. I hope I didn't make a mistake for coming. So so that's the first thing is mentally, I mean constantly, reminding yourself of that fact that everyone really wants you to succeed and it really encourages you. And this is in conversations as well as audiences. Second, tactically. So tactically speaking, um, I I have a really um, specific approach to public speaking or any kind of pitch or presentation. And my personal belief is that every 30 seconds, you have to give the brain something to munch on. I think of people's brains kind of like hungry toddlers, right? Right like toddlers, you can give them snacks all day, right? Like they're constantly looking for something new to stimulate them. I think adults are actually the same way. We just hide it better. And after about 30 seconds, this is anecdotal. What I've noticed is if you watch an audience um, from stage, of someone else speaking, I've sat backstage, at a lot of speaking presentations is after about 30 seconds, if you don't give the brain a new hook, the audience begins to fade out. They think about lunch. They pull out their phone. They talk to their partner. They have that glazed overlook. And so my goal, whenever I have a presentation or a pitch is that I should have some kind of new hook every 30 seconds. So if you watch my Ted talk, you'll see that I never do the same thing for more than 30 seconds and something has to change. That could be a slide change. It could be an animation. It could be a joke. It also could be a vocal power change. So I think a lot, we, we do a lot of research on vocal mm-hmm. power in our lab. And one thing that we've noticed is that we like vocal charisma. So right now, for example, I'm speaking in a, a kind of um, quick pace, same tone. But if all of a sudden I slow down and I go into more of a retrospective, introspective mm-hmm. kind of a tone, yeah. it changes and then if I were to speed up and talk more casually, it would be like this because I would be talking in a casual story. You can't believe what happened. Even those different kinds of vocal charisma allow your brain to go, oh, we're doing the story now. Oh, mm-hmm. she's reflecting now. Oh, we're doing data now. And so what I would think about is um, can you break up your, your talks, your stories, your presentations to change every 30 seconds in some way. I think that's a way that you can keep people really engaged. Yeah, for the me time.
1: that's hard because I don't script anything. It makes me nervous. So I just kind of have to talk and go and mm. I don't know, somehow that's the only way I can do it. So I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out cuz I have a ton of speaking opportunities.
0: That's okay, actually. I, so I don't, I don't usually script that either. I mean, the TED Talk wasn't scripted, but I practiced it so much that it right, was right. practically scripted. Even, even I'm like now, you know, we're not, no. we're not scripting, right? I didn't, nope, I didn't know the didn't. questions ahead of time. She's doing if, this live, folks. I notice. <laughs> <laughs> doing it live. Um, all I got is a mic. Um, even now, look, if I'm answering for more than thirty seconds, I know that I'm probably boring you, or no, I'm making not. it harder for your brain but to. But I, I
1: hear what you're saying. You're conscious of feeling it out and, you know, really staying with that rhythm. That's what you're saying.
0: Yeah. And like rhythms are good, but they could also be bad, if that makes sense.
1: So in the pursuit of finding your dream job and doing things that are fulfilling and, and so much of that has to do with relationships, networking, sending people cold emails, picking up the phone sometimes, having a meeting. How can we help those of us who are listening who feel overwhelmed by that? I mean, even myself, and I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty comfortable extrovert. I still, you know, if I have to pick up the phone and call somebody who I don't know, um, or if I'm going to send an email, there's still a moment of like, hmm, you know, am I going to bother them? You know, what should I do to make sure that I I add something positive to their day, right? And I don't, you know, cause them any sort of like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not being a pester or bother in any way. So how can you help us so that we can put our best foot forward? What are some ways to overcome that feeling of, Uh Uh-oh, I feel like a fraud or I I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I guess I'm just going to start pitching something to someone and talking to them about myself. Like, How can we understand what's going on and then how to execute that in the best way possible?
0: Yeah. I think um, the way that I like to think about this, especially because I have to do a lot of pitching in my business, right? I do um, a lot of public speaking and we also sell corporate courses. So I'm constantly having to do pitch calls or cold calls or cold emails And it's nerve wracking, right? You're like, oh, am I wasting their time, right? Like, am I, you know, are they going to want to hire me? Are they going to want to pay me? Especially when talking about rates, like negotiating for rates or asking for money, or, oh, it's it's really hard. The way that I try to tackle it is reminding myself of the times that I've given someone else an aha moment. So I'm obsessed with aha moments. Um, I talk about them a lot in my courses, my my students, any students listening, I talk about them all the time because I think that when we have an aha moment, it's usually like, oh, something clicked for someone. And those are usually the things that people remember most. Like if you go to a speaking event or you read a book and you're like, aha, oh, that's the moment you usually remember. Yeah. And something about what you do, whether you're an entrepreneur or um, you've done something at your job, you have given people aha moments before those are what you should put front and center of both your mind as well as your calls. Because they're what reminds us that it's not just about us. It's actually about other people.
1: What does that mean? The aha moments that you can give to other people.
0: I need to understand this. This is gold. What does this mean? Okay. So my imposter syndrome flares up when I am so focused on me lacking something, right? Like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. Right. But however, when I get out of my own head and make it not about me and I make it about previous aha moments, I know that I'm just a messenger for that information. So I'll get really specific here. So when I, before I cold email or before I cold call or cold pitch, and let's say that I'm doing, um, I'm pitching uh, a corporate workshop on social skills for engineers, right? That's a really common one that we do a lot. I know that in previous workshops, engineers have come up to me and said, this has fundamentally changed my perspective on people. Or, oh my God, for the first time, I finally understand my boss. I have those aha moments written out in a document in my computer. So before I go cold pitch, I know that I have to get through the HR person or through the um, manager to be able to give aha moments to their team. It's not about me, it's not about my accomplishments or uh, me um, being able to show up okay. It's just about me being the messenger of information that I know can fundamentally change their team. So, I actually would say, when you are about to cold pitch or cold email, make it as little about you as possible, and think about how can you present the aha moments in the best way possible. That could be case studies, that could be stories, that could just be keeping it front of mind. Because if you think of yourself as the messenger as opposed to the deal maker, it's so much less pressure to be the messenger than it is to be the actual person. So
1: give me an example of what that would look like in an email.
0: So in an email, okay. So um, in an email, the way that we do a lot of our cold pitch emails, we have a, a pretty, pretty great template that we use over and over again is the subject is usually about their team, not about me, right? I'm just a messenger. So it would be helping the introverts on your team earn X amount more or helping the introverts on your team with their sales calls. Literally, that's the subject, right? And then, so dear so-and-so, um, my name is Vanessa. Um, I work with engineers and introverts on teams to help them with their soft skills. In the past, we've been able to help. And then I list out specific companies we've been able to help and then specific examples of ways we've been able to help. At the very end of the email, I might talk about my background, but the first three paragraphs of that email are all about the previous people we've helped, how we've helped them, and then how we can help them on their team. Those emails do so much better than when I have an email that's like, My name is Vanessa. I have a TED Mm -hmm. Talk and a book and a photo.
1: Right. And it's not about you, it's about them. That's what they, you know, they
0: don't know you. It's like, oh, hi, Vanessa. Good for you. Happy you've done a TED Talk. Exactly. So I would say the mentality of being the messenger is so powerful.
1: But let's say, let's bring this down to a specific example. Someone who's listening right now, let's say somebody who's listening makes pottery Mm -hmm. and they would love to get a deal from a big store to place a big order. So What's the aha moment that they're supposed to, I mean, obviously we can, we can find ways of how every single person's thing solves problems or makes somebody's day better or brighter or more delicious. What would they say? Ah, easy. You're like, that's an easy one. I'm like, really? I gave her a hard one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. So if you make beautiful, let's say, um, urns, you make beautiful urns, your aha moment is that urn making a room, Right transforming someone's living room, being the, the amazing centerpiece on someone's mantle. So your aha moments are those pictures. And so that's where I would lead is your pottery can transform someone's space, can inspire someone's creativity, can brighten up their desk, can make their bedroom feel more um, personal to them. Those are the aha moments. It's not you know how many awards your pottery has won. Of course, that can be further down in the pitch or the email. But when you walk into a store, your whole perspective is, okay, I'm the messenger for these amazing pieces. And my entire goal is to make some to transform someone's space with this amazing piece of creative work. So here I'm going to show a bunch of pictures. I'm going to have stories of people who have bought my previous pottery, how much they love it, how much their kids love it, how they pass Mm -hmm. it down from generation Mm -hmm. to generation. Those are the aha moments for them.
1: This is fascinating because you know what I usually do? (laughs) I um. I don't do any of this and I I'm happy to like learn it and understand it um because there's so many people out there you know Marie Forleo she has a class on like copy cure and so what I do is I just try to make a relationship with the person like I just talk about life like I'll like reach out to this woman let's say her name is Marie and I'm like hey Marie you know Thanksgiving is coming up so glad that it's like pumpkin spice latte season um (laughs) wanted to reach out to you. I had a specific question for you. I love what your store is all about. You know, are you guys this season looking for blank? You know, you don't have to write back. I'm sure you're super busy. And then maybe I'd put a picture of like my kid at a pumpkin patch. Yeah. Like I try to not sell anything at all because I'm always so, I'm so on the side of like, let me just make a relationship, make a relationship because if I pitch or send a photo or send a whatever, any kind of like me explaining how great my things are, even if I'm always afraid that that's not going to work, but maybe it would work better than what I do.
0: You know what though, what you're talking about, it's, it's amazing because that is your unique brand of charisma, right? Your unique Mm. brand of charisma is building deep relationships, is relationships before selling, is background story. Whereas my unique brand of charisma is much more about harvesting aha moments. It's about being a messenger. It's about being a teacher.
1: But you're so good at it. I really meant that as like a real like, but you're saying no, everybody has a slightly different way. That's interesting. And
0: I wouldn't be as good at yours because that's not my natural way. And so I love that because you should, everyone who's listening should try both and then make a hybrid of your own. Because if you try to... You know, lock, stock, and barrel. Use some else as you want.
1: I like that. I like both. All right, we're going to hit pause to thank one of our sponsors. We'll be right back, ladies. Boot season has finally arrived. It's the perfect opportunity to be the fall fashion trendsetter you always dreamed of being, and you don't have to spend a million dollars to do it. Live up to your style potential with a JustFab.com membership. So I got this Valerie Brickheel heel buckle bootie from JustFab, and they are amazing. They're simple, but super stylish and gorgeous. I get compliments on them all the time. And there's tons of other stuff on their website that I really want to get, like flats, sweaters, bags. Their selection is awesome. And getting set up on the JustFab site is really easy. Just take their style quiz and then they personalize the shopping experience. So all your favorite styles are right at the top. Millions of women say that JustFab is their go-to site to see what's new and trending in boots, shoes, clothing, and accessories. You can shop as a guest or become a JustFab VIP, which is what I did. And you'll receive up to 30% off on retail prices Plus, access to tons of other exclusive perks. And JustFab offers a flexible membership, so each month you can choose to shop or skip. Shop the way you want to. It's time to step up your boot game. If you go to JustFab.com/dreamjob right now and sign up as a VIP, you're gonna get your first dial for as low as ten dollars. That's JustFab.com/dreamjob to get your first dial for as low as ten dollars. JustFab.com/dreamjob. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. All you need is a computer with internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app. That means you can improve your mental health even if you've had trouble making time for it in the past. So if you're anything like me, you probably have a lot on your plate. Like I'm trying to balance this podcast, writing my book, my licensing company, my kids, and it's hard to make time to take care of my emotional health. So that's why I really love Talkspace. With Talkspace, it's as easy as sending a message to your therapist, like, You have somebody who you can chat with when you really need it. They're right there in your pocket. You can get something off your chest whenever you need to. No extra commutes, no leaving the office, no judgments. And therapy isn't just about taking a deep dive into your childhood or your innermost thoughts. It's also about practical everyday strategies for stress management and just living a happier life. The Talkspace platform has over 2000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing every challenge that we face. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can go to Talkspace.com/dreamjob and use the code DreamJob to get forty-five dollars off your first month, and you'll be showing your support for this show. The code is DreamJob, and it's Talkspace.com/dreamjob. You've gone on to do so many things that are really difficult. You know, like having as many subscribers. You have like almost three hundred thousand subscribers to your YouTube channel. That's a lot. Yeah, that's I know, a lot. It's crazy. And you've written books, and you have a big presence everywhere, and you're you're selling courses, and you're you're speaking. And how do you feel you've been most successful? Why is this working? It's it's obviously you know some of what you just said about you know pitching, but there's other components to it. What else can we learn from you? Because there's so many people who are listening, they love to build a following online. What else do you think are some of the key ingredients that are that's making this work? I
0: think that it's really one big one and it's a little counterintuitive is most people when they think about walking into a room or, you know, opening a YouTube video or writing a book is they think about kind of leading with their best foot forward. I think that my approach is typically to lead with my worst foot forward. (laughs) And what I I mean by that is, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the opening line of my book is I'm a recovering awkward person. Now, most people would start a book with, here's all the great reasons why you should read my book about people's skills. Everyone
1: loves me. <laughs> but, yeah, you exactly. should too. Yeah, I'm amazing. Yeah, I'm an
0: amazing yeah. people person, so you should learn from me. Um, every time I have done that, and I have tried that in my career, it's failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with our YouTube channel, with my website, with my newsletter, typically when I sit down to write an email for my newsletter, for example, I write, we write one a week, and we call the weekly wins is I don't start off usually with the good thing or the promise. Usually okay. I start off with the problem, the pain point, the embarrassment, yep. the story.
1: Yep, yep, yep. And that, those sense. emails get
0: more opens and more clicks. They're shared more often. It's the same with all the blog articles and all the videos. And so I would say...
1: What's a good example know, of that? Like an email you sent like that or a video you posted?
0: The biggest one is, you know, starting my book with I'm a recovering awkward person. Yeah, that's a big um, one. Email, <laughs> um, email I sent last week. The subject was, this was my biggest failure. That was the subject line. And then I began to tell a story about my biggest failure. And actually in that email was a link to my WDS talk about my entrepreneurial journey, Mm -hmm. which I was very, very honest about the failures of how we've built the business that we have. Um but instead of saying, here's my amazing talk in front of a thousand people at WDS, I was like, here's my greatest failure. I was terrified while I shared this on stage. It's the most personal talk I've ever done. I hope you enjoy it. That was it.
1: Um, I think this makes so much sense. And I talk to people all the time about how your mess is your message. That's something that my friend Amber mm. Ray said. Love and it's it. great, it's a great way to say it, but it's true because everybody is seeking connection and there's so much fronting and fakeness and pure, perfectly curated pictures on Instagram and Facebook and everyone's feeling alone and anxious. And then here comes a human being who has the courage to say, here's where I'm scared. And someone goes, mm-hmm. oh my gosh that's real. And I love that person for speaking out loud what I'm actually feeling. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Tell everybody where they can find you.
0: Yeah, sure. So everything is at scienceofpeople.com. You can also search uh, Vanessa Van Edwards and YouTube and you'll find our YouTube channel. And um, we try to put out a video or an experiment every week just to try to keep it fresh. So I'm so grateful that you or gave me the space to share with your audience. I'm so grateful to be here.
1: Thank you so much for being here. And um, we will keep following you and enjoying everything you're putting out in the world. Thank you.
0: You're the best, thank you.
1: I love talking with Vanessa and I'm super interested to try her approaches to outreach and networking. Okay, so here are some takeaways. Number one, find your unique brand of charisma. Number two, if you wanna have a great conversation, help the other person search for a positive memory. Number three, being impressive is about giving other people the opportunity to impress you. Number four, everyone wants you to succeed. Number five, share the aha moments you've given to someone else. Number six, you don't have to be a scientist to make an idea click. Your art can transform a space and change a life. Number seven, you are the messenger, not the deal maker. And number eight, lead with your worst foot forward. Your biggest failure is your biggest way to connect with someone else. I love you guys so much. If you want to reach out and say hi, come on over and DM me at Instagram at kathy.heller. I read and respond to all my messages. My name is spelled with a C, by the way. Also, you can come on over to our Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. It's been so beautiful to see you all connecting with each other, sharing what you're working on, giving each other support. You guys are truly stars of the show. And if you want to find some other awesome souls like you in your area, we'd love to put you in one of our meetup groups. You can email us at hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. Tell us who you are and where you live and we'll match you up with a listening group so you can get together with some people near you and talk about your idea and have that support and Be in a group of like-minded people who want to take this thing that they love and turn it into something more. I hope that this podcast continues to be a reminder to you that you matter, that you're enough and that there's a world out there waiting for you with open arms. You just have to get started and it's okay to be messy. It's okay to make a mediocre draft, validating, aligning. This is all what we're doing all the time. We're all in beta and you're going to get what you need the most by just going ahead and starting where you are you got this. I'm telling you, your work in progress version is good enough. Please just take the next step. If you love this episode or any episode, take a second right now and share this podcast with somebody. Share any episode because if you all did that, it would transform what we're doing, help us so much. Uh, Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes because it really helps other people find the show. I'll leave you guys with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.